if I look at it from a person's perspective, work revolves around them. Like we are not the center of their universe, their family, their well-being, that's the center of their universe. And knowing that if that we can help make that universe better, then they're going to be better and more effective at work and hopefully stay with us longer as well. Welcome to Behind the Brand, presented by NEO. We take an inside look at the leaders behind today's most influential brands. I'm your host, Jeff Adamson. As co-founder of NEO Financial and Skip the Dishes, I am fascinated by what it takes to build great companies. This season, we'll learn from leaders who are reimagining, innovating, and transforming industries all across Canada. Let's get going. I am excited to introduce Manoj Jazra, Chief Marketing and Digital Officer at Northland Properties Group which includes the Sandman Hotel, Moxie's, Chop Steakhouse and Bar, Denny's, the Dallas Stars, Revelstoke Mountain Resort, and more. Manoj is a master of digital marketing and transformation and has over 20 years of experience across various sectors, including aviation, telecom, hospitality, agency, and food and beverage. Prior to Northland, Manoj led cross-functional teams as the head of digital at WestJet and vice president of digital and customer experience at Shaw Communications. Manoj has played an integral role in implementing digital and e-commerce strategies for iconic Canadian brands and is now spearheading the marketing and digital transformation strategy across Northland Properties Group. All right, so Manoj, the hospitality industry has pivoted drastically over the last few years. Tell us a little bit about what you're focused on right now. So I think we took full advantage of the circumstances. The circumstances were very broad for organization. As you know, hospitality across resorts, restaurants, hotels were vastly impacted. But this gave us the opportunity to really assess everything. So we actually took time to, across the organization, look at investments, look at uh, organizational structure, look at the projects that we need to focus on. And in my group, we invested in, in some serious opportunities around getting the roster right, like the team strength and the bench. We know that we were going to come out of this thing eventually. So getting our team right in regards to structure, how we serve the portfolio brands. And now my team is really focused uh, in regards to each team member and making sure each team member knows why they matter, why that mattering rolls up to the contributions that they have to the overall organization goals. As much as people are concerned about hiring, which looks like all the companies who have marketing as a facet are going after the same people. So it's going to be a big of a bit of a dogfight there. We think retention is actually way more critical. People don't really fully grasp in regards to the investment it takes if somebody you've invested onboarding, training, research time over a couple of years, if that talent leaves you, that is a major gap in people's understanding. So I think that's an area we're heavily investing into from a retention perspective. And we've had a bunch of starts and stops over the last couple of years. And it feels like even my team has turned into a sales team versus a marketing team. Like we were after, you know, we got to get the next hotel room or the next person to visit a restaurant. And now we're shifting back into that marketing mindset. So I think hotels, Moxie's, Chop and Denny's, we're closely working with our new agency partners to make sure we're getting ready for brand strategies and building more of a relationship with our, with our guests as well. So I'm really looking forward to that. Every leader knows how important retention is, yet it seems to to kind of fall off. How have you been keeping this top of mind for your own company, especially given the context of COVID and the absolute talent war that's going on for certain roles? Transparency in regards to the overall organizational goals is, is really important to us. As there was a lot of fluctuations over the last couple of years in our business, I think keeping people abreast of how the organization is shifting and how we see the next month and the next month and now, hopefully we're still thinking next six months, the next 12 months. I think that transparency was important. I think all of our senior leaders got more involved 
across the organization so that we were cross-pollinating information. I think that was important. I personally meet with my direct reports as direct reports very, very frequently so that I understand the pulse at everyone's level in regards to what's on their mind in terms of their growth, their career plan, or where are they stuck? Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer that if you help people along their journey in life versus just their journey with a specific company, I think that goes a long ways. So that's some of the things that we've taken in regards to investing more in the retention side as well. I've always found it challenging the role of a company in your employee's life. Where does the responsibility of a company start and stop? Like you talk about making people successful in life, which I think is similar to how I view it as well. Work is a large part of a person's life. How do you look at that division and not taking on too much ownership of a person's success outside of work, but at the same time, trying to make sure that they're not just doing well at work? Yeah, I I think it's a fine line, but I think the concept of balance means that there is a very integrated view. If you don't pay attention to the kind of the mental wellness of somebody at home as well as at work, I think it becomes very disconnected. And I think expectations potentially can't be met that way. Like, I think it's important to like, it's hard to not prone into someone's life and you want to respect their privacy, but you also want to know what's going on and see if you can help and lend a hand. I think that's pretty important. More than ever before, this is at the forefront of people's minds that the employers do care more than just the work style. If I look at it from a person's perspective, work revolves around them. Like we are not the center of their universe, their family, their well-being, that's the center of their universe. And knowing that if that we can help make that universe better, then they're going to be better and more effective at work and hopefully stay with us longer as well. So it's a fine balance. But I think if you can create that closer relationship and understand more of what's going on in a person's life, I think they're going to be that much better for you on the team side as well. Yeah, they'll feel like, hey, this person actually cares about more than just my output or the results I create at work. They they actually want me to succeed as a person and their life doesn't revolve around work. Like no one's going to ever say, hey, like my job is more important than my family or my health. But at the same time, people do let those things slide. I'm curious, even in your own career, give us a little bit of color in terms of your own journey getting to Northland. How did you get there and, and what was that journey like? I was born in India, actually. And it was, I moved when I was five. So most of my life has been in Canada. But my parents were, they were first generation of our family who went to Canada. My dad actually moved in 1972 with the story of $100 in his pocket. And his first job was at CP Rail. So I was taught and I understood at a very young age, the value of hustle and the value of hard work. Mm-hmm. And I also understood our overall financial situation. Like my family, we were well off in terms of happiness but we weren't well off in terms of everything we could afford. That's fine because we were happy with what we've got. Ultimately, I believe I got to stand on the shoulders of giants, which were my parents, and therefore I had to take every opportunity that was provided to me. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's actually pretty interesting as you look back and reflect the forks and the roads and in terms of the decisions that you have to make in your life. The way I kind of treat things is I, I never like to be comfortable. Uh, I don't like the idea of coasting. So I purposely try to put myself into uncomfortable situations and these uncomfortable zones. So the fact that when I first started in school and university, I was actually going for a BA. My dad's like, get into this computer science thing. I'm like, okay, done. Let's go try that out. To get to my first job at Inquire Search Solutions, I just flipped my resume in and I wasn't even applying. I got that gig. I tried to go after the Shaw role. I was given a role at WestJet, which I actually denied the first time and took their second role. Okay, so these are just opportunities. Yeah. So some people can sit back and say, opportunities come to me, or you can take them. And the way I look at it is you're the only one responsible for your own career. It's not someone else's job to take care of you that way. 
you don't have to jump into something, but I always recommend you entertain it. And entertaining just means you understand the information, the context, and you make a decision. If you don't entertain it, you don't even get an opportunity to go try it. And that by living that way, I think I've made some interesting roadways to get to where I'm at Northland today. How did you think about your career though? Like, did you kind of step back and say, hey, all right, I want to become you know, chief digital officer at Northland, or I want to stay focused within digital? Were there certain companies that you said, hey, I want to learn more about e-com, or right, I'm going to go work for WestJet, or hey, I'm maybe weak in the area of strategy, I'm going to do some, some consulting and, and beef that up? Or was it more opportunistic where you're just an opportunity came up, you looked into it, it looked good, and you took it? My education is in computer science. Then I started to understand what I didn't like. And I like, you and I had a conversation the other day in regards to how financial systems are built. And you were saying they're built on Cobalt. Funny thing is, I learned how to program in Cobalt as in the late 90s and early 2000s. So I can probably <laughs> help those guys a bit. I was wondering why you're laughing at that. <laughs> That's right. I'm like, I, I remember those times. So like my, in my background, when I was learning, going to school, like we were doing C++, Pascal, Cobalt, networking. But when we got into some of the digital aspects during that time, PHP, JavaScript, web development, HTML, I started to get an understanding of that. And it was my first role which sparked inspiration. So it was a company called Inquirer Search Solutions. Uh, it's now called MediaTip because they were uh, bought up by, I believe, the Yellow Pages group. That's where I learned SEO, paid search, digital analytics. Yeah. And we were able to show some pretty big value to players like Allstate Insurance, Toys R Us. We actually did uh, SEO for Oprah's company, Harpo. We were working with even Google doing eye tracking studies, research on their Google search results page to say, you know, where are people clicking? So that's where a lot of that was sparked. I actually started a blog years ago called Web Analytics World. And that was in 2003 or 2004. It was a ways to show my thought leadership. It led to engagements. It led to uh, conferences and business relationships. And I remember a time where I was invited to go to Google's head offices and I saw Larry and Sergey and Marissa Mayer speak. Oh, wow. And they were talking about the introduction of universal search results, which was now we see like, you know, we have local search and videos and images embedded. They launched that in like 2004 to those bus. As a member of the press, I got to participate. So that's where a lot of this was sparked. I think my journey is really around, I've always just wanted a meaningful seat at the table. And digital has been always a part of that. And marketing has been a part of that. But I feel like if I can have a seat at the table in regards to drive strategy and have a meaningful impact to the end consumer, that's where I strive and I've always wanted to be. Uh, I don't know if I always had the vision to get to where I am today from a role perspective, but I just I just wanted people to listen so that I my ideas could be heard. But you did you did some entrepreneurial things as well, like you, you did the publishing on the thought leadership side. Did you go into that with the thinking of, hey, I'm going to make this into a serious business? Or is this just a way of you putting your ideas on paper and getting them out into the world so that you, it could further your own career? Or was it, hey, I actually think I'm going to have a, run a consulting business out of this? Because you went entrepreneurial and then you actually went back in, into working for large enterprises again. I think I work really well in a, call it a corporate environment where I'm helping a, a team grow. So when I thought about doing some of those entrepreneurial things, it was essentially to allow me to look more broader in terms of what opportunities exist. So blogging, the speaking, and then this, the, my own business at the time was just a way to level up my experience. And again, by consulting for a bit, allowed me to see if I like that space or not. Uh, I really do, but I love the team aspect of it even more. And I think the blogging and some of the entrepreneurship side, I'm always looking for ways to be better than whatever whoever my competition is. I have this fake comp competition in my mind sometimes. And I felt these were ways that I could appear a thought leader versus just being the average team member to a, to a company. What was it about digital marketing that really you know drew you in? First of all, 
in terms of like where it's shifting to from a consumer behavior perspective, it's looking at everything in their life. So that was an interesting part of it. So it's not just a vertical, it's a way of being. I think digital touches so many aspects of a consumer's life. I think that was interesting to me. The fact that you can make change and see results, I think that was a big aspect of it. And also in regards to being able to hypothesize, test different things across various customer segments, show them different pieces of content, uh, different experiences, and have them across Canada or across the US engage with them and really understand what's working and what's not. I lo- so I like the speed. I like the ability to be more dynamic and creative. And I think the cool thing about digital marketing is that it's like this culmination of the left and the right brain, right? So it's a technical analytical side meeting creativity. And I believe I, I kind of sit right in the middle. So I've got this computer science background and I'm analytical, but I love the creativity where you can think big about brand and customer experience. And that's where digital marketing really melds together. Like when you think of digital marketing and the people working in it, how do you see the people who are coming into the industry now versus the people who have been in digital marketing for years and years and years? Like you mean like yourself, like you've been in the digital marketing space since as long as there's been a digital marketing space. And then now, obviously, it's it's over 50, 50% of, dig, of marketing spend is digital. How is the thinking different? And, and, and what advice would you have to people who are actually just getting started? It's, it's actually quite interesting. Sometimes I feel like the old guy in the mix a bit, right? <laughs> so I'm a guy who's learned digital, but it wasn't really a part of my life. The students that are coming out, they're digital natives. That's all they know about. And in some ways, these folks can actually teach you a few tricks in regards to how they expect brands to act and behave. So I think it's actually like a journey in regards to how can we leverage their digital knowledge in regards to the way they behave on a day-to-day basis? And how could you teach them in regards to how to build strategies and tactics from a business perspective and harness those capabilities? Mm -hmm. But I think if you're a digital expert who's been around for, say, 15 or 20 years, and you don't think that you can learn from some of these students, I, I think you've got something else coming to you. Like these guys are coming with a lot more skill. They're faster. They've brought in experiences from their from their lives, and they could offer so much value to somebody. I was um, speaking at an event at Thompson Rivers University a few weeks ago when we gave a donation to the university, and I was speaking to the MBA class. And these guys are they're fast. They pick up on things. They're hungry. And they're coming with a whole different set of attitudes and skill sets that I don't think I came out of when I was in school in 1998 to kind of 2002 area. It's absolutely incredible just how quick, I mean, even even in the last year, we've had a lot of interns and, and new grads come to work at NEO. And I'm always comparing and contrasting what their experience is like and the skills they're bringing to the table to the ones that I brought to the table when I was a new grad. And I feel like they're, and maybe it's just, I wasn't that good, maybe. I feel like they're just way <laughs> smarter. They're hardworking. They're dedicated relative to the, when I was just getting started. Like they just seem to pick things up at a speed that is much greater than I recall back when I was just getting started in my career. Is that something that you've seen as well? Yeah, I, I believe you're right. I think time to onboarding has kind of gone from six months like to a month, basically, based on their speed. They've got ability to access native tools, whether it's Canva or whatever social media editor, and use and provide value quickly. I think it's up to us to kind of harness that power and point them in the right direction and use that capability versus put them in some type of task where it's too menial. I think leveraging their skill set and those, those folks who are especially hungry, I think it's going to be important for us. So I want to talk about Northland Properties now because I talk to people about Northland Properties. I'm like, have you heard of these guys? And they say, no, I've, I'm like, okay, have you heard of the Dallas Stars? I've heard of Revelstoke or Denny's or Chop. Can you tell our listeners, what would you want them to know about Northland Properties? 
it's interesting. So we're trying to do a better job with on the employer brand as well. Northland Properties is built and founded by the Gallardi family. So it's a Vancouver-based company, 100% Canadian owned, built in the 60s as a hotel and construction company. So we had our first hotel in uh, Smithers, British Columbia in 1967 as a motel. Now we've got assets across the board into hotels, resorts, restaurants, sports teams, and construction. And so we're out 13,000 team members across Canada, the US, the UK, and in Ireland. I think that's the coolest thing in that if you're a consumer, you can eat, stay, play, and be entertained with us as well. That's a very cool kind of set of uh, assets to have available. And I think at our peak, we touch around 10 million Canadians a year, which is, I think, a big number. And that, And what my goal is to try to figure out how do these things work seamlessly together because I think there's a huge opportunity once you're in our ecosystem to stay within our ecosystem. And one thing that I'll say that might add some additional color is that with our construction and our real estate assets, we build and design our own hotels and some of our other assets. We own the brands, which is important. So we don't pay a commission to like a Best Western or a Hilton. And we manage and operate our own companies as well, our brands. So that gives us, I believe, a a distinct advantage in regards to how we do business. And therefore, our decision making isn't to uh, a massive board or a massive swath of executives. A small group of people can make decisions along with team members very nimbly. And I think we're well set up to do that. And, and to me, when I think of that, it's, it seems like you you have this ecosystem and I hear the word ecosystem coming up more and more in conversations. How do you think about Northland Properties as an ecosystem? And, and what are some of the, the ways that you're thinking about this idea of Northland as an ecosystem? From a pure data perspective, I think a consumer can stay at a Sandman Hotel or Sandman Signature. And then typically there's a restaurant that's attached to one of our hotels and that's a Moxie's, Denny's or Chop Steakhouse. And we want to make sure that that guest or customer is known across each one of those visits rather than them being a new guest or a new customer each time. So that's a way for us to close the gap there. And I believe the resorts are great extensions of uh, hospitality. One of the things we're trying to figure out is rather than looking at each individual stay or visit or play as individual sessions, how do we look at that together? Because the lifetime value that a person provides is more important than each individual stay. And by bringing the teams closer together, whether that's operationally, or we're definitely trying to do that in the marketing space so that the teams sit closer together, they collaborate more effectively together. I think there's a big advantage for us in regards to the guest experience to make it consistent. When I think of digital transformation or just even business transformation in general, your name comes top of mind uh, in my list of people who have done this successfully across multiple different types of companies. How do you think of driving change? Because like a lot of companies, they say they want to do it. They see the writings on the wall, but they just struggle so much from a people perspective, from a process perspective and a technology perspective. Do you have a, a framework or a model for driving change within organizations? I've tried the same formula across WestJet and Sean here, and it seems to have worked. I think making sure you have an amazing relationship with IT. Typically in, in my role, I've been the business side I am the owner of the digital transformation. And I remember at WestJet, the relations with IT weren't that amazing until we kind of sorted through them. So I think breaking down barriers with them, understanding their challenges and creating a partnership so that they're also able to accomplish their goals inside the digital transformation. You essentially become a champion of IT so that you're fighting on their behalf, not just be on behalf of like the business transformation side. Mm-hmm. And so build this, we are in this kind of all in together mentality. And I also think in the digital transformation space, I think it's important to understand whether it's a company's overall priority. Building a strong vision and a well-sequenced roadmap so it shows the path to get there 
versus just we're going to implement some a digital transformation in three years, we'll see you later. I think that never works. So I think a, a well-sequenced and thought-out roadmap is important. And because digital transformation touches so many parts of the organization, having your colleagues in different parts, whether that's HR, finance, IT, all participating along the way helps you build support in your overall journey rather than you doing it by yourself. Cross-functionally, I think if you can educate them, these partners along the way, they unlock so much for you as supporters. And this will help really build kind of that group consensus you need. And one thing I've learned is if you can be directly uh, responsible for the budget, <laughs> even though so you can shift and pivot as you need, that actually moves things in regards to delivering what you need for the organization and whether it aligns to your strategy or not. So if your responsibility for budget and outcomes is super important. You basically have just outlined the change management digital transformation playbook for all of our listeners. And I'm sure it goes perfectly fine 100% of the time, right? Yeah, yeah sure does. You follow this path, you will deliver digital transformation in six months. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> one plus one is equal to two. What are some of the challenges that you typically encounter, Manoj? Like across the companies, when you think you've been at Shaw, massive company, WestJet, massive company, Northland, huge. Have you seen the exact same challenges at each company? Or are they different challenges, but the solutions actually seem to work the same? Or are you kind of having to reassess this framework on the fly each time differently? I think it depends on which where the maturity of the organization is, right? So if you're a bit of a more mature organization, you may have already established that the digital team is accountable for the transformation and then other teams are responsible and, and incorporated into the strategy of it. And that makes things easier. If you're a less mature company, and you have different teams across the organization jockeying for position in regards to who's actually running the show here, that is actually a challenge in itself. Because if you don't have accountability, I talk about the word like the phrase racy, roles, accountabilities, consultant, form. If you don't have that kind of figured out, that becomes challenging. I think that requires executive level decisions to say who is the ultimate executive who's on the nut, who's accountable for the delivery of this. And then there's a lot of people responsible for making it happen, whether you're responsible for infrastructure, user experience, technology, data. That I see is a big challenge. And I also often have seen that digital may not be the highest priority in the business often, right? So for some organizations where they don't realize that it's the experience along with technology, which delivers something, not just the technology side, I think that's been a challenge to show the value and the business case in regards to delivering something like that. And although we joke at it that it's one plus one equals two, I think it takes persistence uh, in regards to persistence, in regards to showing resilience with your team, the structure, the business cases, the ROI, the overall vision. And you might have to hammer it quarter after quarter until they come along with you for that journey and the ride there as well. Does it surprise you that, you know, in 2022, that digital sometimes still doesn't have the prioritization or budget or headspace within organizations? It is surprising. And I think in the last 10 years, what, what I've seen, though, is digital was a vertical entity, which was trying to build something in the organization 10 or 12 years ago. In the last three or four years, digital is horizontal now. Transformation takes the place not only with the, the website and the apps and things like that, it takes place with finance teams, with their transformation, with technology teams, with HR teams. So the digital transformation is more horizontal. I think people are seeing that, that you're digitizing the business, you're not just implementing digital transformation for technology's sake. And some organizations, uh, unfortunately, haven't picked that up, that it's important. But it's hard when business is going really well, right? And so if you're making money and you're profitable, sometimes 
things like digital are, are an afterthought. And I think you need the foresight and have people realize that, yeah, a year from now or two years from now, this is going to be a major deal, or this is how consumers behave today. I think having change agents and catalysts within the organization who drive that behavior and shift in mindset, I think that's that's critical. But yeah, like even in our business, like we've been so successful for 50 plus years, right, in terms of profitability and cost, but our digital transformation kind of started about two years ago. Yeah, and it's, it's so hard for companies that are doing well to kind of say, hey, where is the puck going? Rather than just kind of trying to milk out the good years that they have. You've worked in large public companies. You've worked at a large private company now. Have you seen a major difference in that short versus long time thinking? If I was to say the differences between the kind of the three organizations that we've called out, it's different in regards to how they're set up. So I remember at Shaw, it's a very corporate built business. Like they have a lot of they have a lot of support teams in place, right? They have really strong HR teams, really strong financial teams, IT teams. They have strong infrastructure technology to prepare you for a digital transformation. Mm-hmm. And everything has great business models in regards to business cases and how budgeting happens in order to make it happen. Whereas Northland on the other side, it's there's actually less decision makers. We're way more nimble. Uh, we don't have massive people to align with. And I think that allows us to work in a much faster pace than I think at Shaw we were able to because I had to get a lot of people's alignment and be able to make shift there. But it came with a lot of support here. There's a lot of executive support, but I have, say, less people involved in like some of the peripheral work to kind of go forward. Therefore, you're rolling up your sleeves a lot more. And WestJet was in between, I would say, uh, on, on entrepreneurial mindset because it was this Canadian company. And I was there in the kind of around 2011 to 2016 or so. And therefore, they still had the mindset of being entrepreneurial. They had a strong technology team, but they didn't have some of the support systems that maybe Shaw did, but were more nimble. But they still had an ultimate executive team and a board that they had to respond to as well. So different companies land in different places. And therefore, your starting point, your end point is very, very different as well. Yeah, it's interesting. It's always a challenge of trying to solve the short term do everything you need to do to survive in the short term, but you have to be constantly thinking about, well, hey, where do I need to be in five years and, and make the investments today? And for a lot of those big companies, those investments are massive and it's hard to get the budget and the headspace and, and the, the people championing that in, inside the company when they're like, hey, we want to take care of ourselves this quarter. But at the same time, we know that we need to be a totally different company five years from now. One thing I would add to the playbook uh, based on what you've just said, and I should have added it, is that in order to get momentum sometimes, it's okay to take a small project and show a win quickly because that starts the mm-hmm. kind of the snowball effect of, yeah, look at that change. And what happens if we apply like some catalyst to it as well? I believe in your industry, you call them OTAs, online travel aggregators. In my old space, which was food delivery, it would be food delivery companies or, or aggregators yep. as well. How do you look at aggregators in general? Because you have hotels and you have restaurants, so you're, you're working with them a lot. Are they friends? Are they enemies? Or are they frenemies? I don't want to say any of those to get, not get into trouble around it. So, <laughs> But I, I would say if you know your distribution strategy, I, I think each one has their own place. You're right. When you were at Skip, you were actually a distributor of our business for restaurants. So you were an important part of takeout delivery for us. In the restaurant space and even in the hotel space, which is just OTAs like Expedia and Booking.com, they are very good at volume. If you need business, aggregators can drive that business for you because they have more eyeballs, more data, more tools, more capabilities, and probably better loyalty capabilities to drive traffic and conversion for you than you can yourself. So we're trying our best to implement better experiences, uh, better 
loyalty programs, better discount programs, or whatever have you in regards to driving that to show people the value of booking direct. Aggregators are an important part of the business. We would prefer everyone to come direct, but we know that's not the case. So we have to work in partnership in order for that to happen effectively. And therefore, we have now formed really great relationships with the skips of the world and the Expedia's world to do that. Businesses, what they're going to try to do the best job of is when, regardless of where that person books from or orders from, we're going to try to give them the best experience on site to make sure that there's an opportunity to try us directly next time as well. Most of the marketers I talk to say that selling one product and marketing one product from one brand is very difficult. You know, even marketing multiple products from, from one brand is is challenging. But you've got at Northland Properties multiple brands, multiple products, ranging from the Dallas Stars to skiing to restaurants to hotels. You know, first of all, I guess maybe what's it like managing the marketing strategies for such a wide range of companies? Yeah, it's it's super complex because it's literally drinking from five or six kind of fire hoses at the same time. And I remember that experience as I was onboarding. There's a lot to learn operationally and a lot to understand that each stakeholder, which is a president tied to each one of these brands, that they have different ambitions and goals in the KPIs that they're measured in as well. But what I've tried to do as I built my organization is I've got a brand marketing leader that's tied to each brand so that they think, they breathe, they eat and live that brand. So that's super important that there's some consistency around that. And then what I've started to do is I've created this shared services model within marketing to give us some really good scale. So we know that everyone is going to be implementing social media strategies and digital marketing strategies and email marketing. So all those capabilities are shared centrally within uh, three different teams. The cross-pollinating that occurs as well. Correct. Like imagine if we tried to do that across like all these companies, there would be basically an email marketer per team and a social media person per net marketer per team. And that's just not good for scale being a kind of a cost focused organization like us. But then when I look at the strategy and positioning, like each brand has to have its own brand positioning, its brand stance and why they exist in, in their organization or for consumers out there. So that's pretty important for a brand like Moxie's. So we are trying to modernize that experience in a big way. Past perceptions around this consumer experience, uh, people think that we don't have the, the freshest food in-house and we're trying to break that perception. So we do have well-trained chefs. They get trained when, in top category type training aspects. We have a head chef, Brandon Thornton, who's classically trained. And we are consistently shifting menu items uh, seasonally and it's made in-house so that people have that kind of freshness as they experience Moxie's as well. And I think it's become a leader in the category in terms of our menu story. And when we think about content creation and the strategy for this brand, we're going to tell a lot more stories around that as well. We even have like a really good beverage program. We have amazing vendors in this space that we partner with who understand consumer needs and consumer research. And through their support, we can figure out how to drive incremental reach to new customers as we build that capability around that as well. In order to break the perceptions of legacy brands, I think it's important that we, we market consistently and we market with volume on a day in and day out because it's going to take... If we, if we look, were looked at as a specific brand for the last 10 or 20 or 30 years, it's going to take years of time as we try to break new perceptions as well. We're also going to have to do some interesting things from a PR and activations perspective, which are fresh ideas to make sure we're showing up in relevant mediums as we come across it. So the challenge here is like, how do we make sure that each brand has its specific goal and we're meeting that expectation for their consumer segment while finding scale at the same time? I, I think you guys have a huge advantage because you actually have those multiple banners and I was speaking with a with someone in the marketing world lately, and they said every single customer is omnichannel, omnibrand. That's how we view our customers. The idea of cross brand loyalty is is a pretty hot topic nowadays. 
How do you think about getting customers into your ecosystem and spending at all of your brands, despite the fact that they're in different industries? I think working together is a big aspect of like years ago, we were often working in silo. And I think the team has collaborated heavier in the last three to four years than ever before. So that when a person is staying at SM and Signature, that we do from a communications perspective, show them the great capabilities that we have from an experience perspective for our restaurants. I think that's simple, but being a communications approach, and whether it's on their confirmation email or whether it's on the 24-hour email that they're about to get pre-check-in, I think all those ways are touch points for us to understand that. As we start to look at strategies for this year, we're trying to do a really good job of understanding what are all the various touch points as a consumer enters a journey with us. And each one of those moments is a way for us to improve that experience because I know that we're not perfect across the board and make sure that we're getting the most out of each guest as well at the same time. So by mapping that out all the way from, you know what, you're researching, you're thinking about an experience all the way from staying and then eventually checking out or you've dined and you've moved out. I think making each one of those experiences really, really valuable and in some, some ways surprising and delighting our guests. I think that way we're getting them to see the entire ecosystem and getting us to look at from a consumer's perspective, how they're interacting with our brands. I think that's become really important to us as well. And one of the advantages we have because we're like seven or eight different organizations under one parent umbrella, we have the ability to cross sell a lot of things to us. So if we're selling like a hotel, sell them a grouse pass or Revelstoke pass at the same time. If we're going to Moxie's for dinner, see if there's an experience that we can lock for a contest later down the road for one of our different hotels, uh, whatever have you. So I think there's an opportunity for us to scale and leverage each other's capabilities around that. And I think uh, because we have so many touch points in, in Canada, I think each moment is an opportunity to win that guest, regardless of which, which brand they're interacting with. Yeah. And it's interesting. Like, do you see, like when I think of the Sandman uh, booking process, if you go to the Sandman website, do you see that as, as similar to your WestJet experience when I go and book a flight at WestJet? You know, there's like five different steps of upselling for car insurance, health insurance. Do you see that same idea taking place within your properties or would you see that as more of an in-person experience only over half of our guests spoke digitally for sure and that might not be direct digitally it might include the ota side as well but there's a huge component which start there that's where the research starts that's where their their inspiration starts and they use that as the catalyst and the jumping ground to to book now we we would prefer if everyone came through the, the website where we can offer a much more seamless experience it's lower cost to us because there's less touch points physically and there's ability yeah, ability to cross on upsell in terms of different suites and different products that we offer as well so that's the that's the overall preferred path when you think about you'd mentioned that northland properties is massively successful company profitable been around for you know 50 plus years. What do you think are some of the largest challenges that it has had from a loyalty perspective over the last 50 years? And, and then where do you see loyalty going as it really pertains to the industries that you're in? Well, maybe I'll start with what I don't see as a challenge. Like with the 50 years in business, we have team members who have been with us for 20, 30, and 40 years. So they understand once the person is on site, they really understand their, their guests as well, because we have a lot of repeat visitation, especially to the same same property. So I remember going into like a Calgary Denny's with the, one of the regionals, and he basically knew everybody by first name. And it was incredible because that experience of leveling up in terms of that person knows me, they care about me, and I'm more than just an average consumer, it just goes up. And I witnessed that firsthand. And I think over the last couple of years, across the brands, we're trying to come become more closely knit. But one of the biggest challenges is to close the gaps in regarding recognizing guests across every touch point. So I think that's a big opportunity for us. Uh, so if we can close that gap, 
and make it feel like we're not seven or eight brands and we're one brand that you're working with. I think there will be zero friction across every touch point that a, that a consumer has with and, us. And when you say recognize each customer, you mean when they come and transact at one of your properties, you know that this is the same customer who transacted at a different property, maybe another time. Yeah. It's, it's like, hello, Mr. Adamson. I know that you stayed at the Signature in Richmond two weeks ago. Welcome to have you. And now you're at say, Vancouver or you're in Calgary, recognizing that. And can I book you your usual spot at the Moxies? And then the Moxies uh, experience, recognizing that you're also a loyal member in terms of the overall ecosystem. I think that would be super cool. And I think because we have all these brands under one umbrella, I think we have the ability to do that. To your loyalty question, I think loyalty is a space that's becoming very crowded. I think every brand is trying to come up with a a loyalty platform. And it's interesting. If you're a large player who's had a loyalty platform, those guys are trying to reimagine how could they make their program more engaging? How could they get more out of the consumers? And how can they create critical partnerships so that they become part of every touchpoint going ahead? And then there's companies that are more like us getting into loyalty, trying to figure out how do we carve a niche in there? Because as you know, uh, being part of this space a lot, is there's a lot of companies who actually fall by the wayside in kind of loyalty programs that don't exist anymore because they weren't engaging. So I think for us, in order for, for us to be effective in loyalty, we started our experience on the hotel side by building a platform called RSVP Rewards. So that's a consolidation of all of our legacy sites. So it gave us a digital platform to begin with. It gave us currency. And I know currency is important. You know, we did it in the form of points. It allows me to trade that currency for partnerships down the road. And that's that's pretty critical. We knew that hotel guests typically are going to stay between two to three times a year. So our vision is to how do we get more interaction so that people can earn and engage with their currency and points later down. And when we did our survey, we did a gen pop study and we did an internal study. And we asked, who should we partner with as part of our whole hotel loyalty program? And restaurants came up number one for us, which is good. We have a few restaurants. And I think so that's a huge opportunity for us. And actually beat it beat car rental, beat airline, beat retail. So we're going to be looking for ways to integrate that into our overall ecosystem. And I think the other things that people are looking for is how do you make it slightly more fun and engaging rather than just the traditional collection of, of whatever currency or points or dollars that you're collecting. And the other thing that we're trying to figure out is how do you make it more meaningful? Like, is your program tied to something that surrounds sustainability or community and something bigger and broader with purpose rather than just being about the business itself. So I think there's a huge, huge aspect of that as well. That sounds like a very ambitious goal that you're setting out to achieve. Having you at the helm leading that actually makes me believe that you are definitely going to achieve it, Manoj. Before we wrap up here, is there any messages that you want to get out to our listeners? Yeah, I would really appreciate that. So we've got a lot of things in the works and I would appreciate everyone trying some of our great products. Like we've got this loyalty program, RSVP Rewards, which we'd love you to sign up for and tell us what you think of it in regards to the experience there. Some of our brands like Moxie's and Shop have amazing new menus and we'd love your feedback in regards to what do you think of that? We also have obviously amazing beverage stories that go along with it. And I hope this podcast has opened a bit of the light in regards to what's behind Northland. We're an amazing company to work with. I've had such an amazing time here as well. The growth stories continues. I think even though we've had a rough couple of years, the next five or 10 years looks rock solid in regards to investment into real estate assets and for hotels and restaurants. And maybe more globally, I know that there's a war going on in the Ukraine right now. And I know that's near and dear to your heart, Jeff. So I think if there's any way that people out there can support, and I know companies have stepped up in a big way, I think we all should because it's a super unfortunate that's happening in, in 2022. So I hope that everyone can do something to support the people of Ukraine at this time as well. Thanks, Manoj. And I can say firsthand just, and, and for all the listeners, you know, Northland 
incredible Canadian company. So many fun ways of of enjoying the brands that you you lead. And from the experience I've had at the restaurants or the hotels, you could just see that the people live and breathe the brand. Working with your team, working with yourself, just top to bottom within the organization. There's just so much love and passion for what you guys do. And I just want to sincerely thank you for coming on and, and giving us the opportunity to, to learn a bit more about what you guys are up to and, and how you're thinking about things. So thank you very much, Manoj. Thank you, Jeff. Really appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to Behind the Brand, presented by NEO. If you enjoyed today's show and are interested in joining NEO, head over to join.neo.cc slash podcast 50. This link will also be available in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.